Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast. Look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. And sometimes movies that aren't even on the list anymore. We are coming to the end of our Indiana summer. Uh, and marking that occasion with me, I'm your host, Darren Mooney, is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm very good, Darren. I'm very good. How are you? How are you, how are you getting on? I'm grand. Um, it is all good in the hood. It is, uh, we're getting... Yeah, we're getting closer to things getting slowly back to normal, so I'm still figuring that stuff out. But I think everybody oh, is as well. Yeah, I have to, I have to register for my vaccination. I'm, I'm, oh, sugar, I'm, because you're in, the, you're older than me. I'm older than you. Yeah, so I'm now, I'm now eligible to, to, to register. I was thinking Fantastic. I would register like immediate, like, like it. <laughs> you, I could have registered on Monday, but it said yeah. like wait until Thursday if you're 35. <laughs> you know, like do, yeah. do it on the day that you're meant to. Um, and and you you I like that you were like I could have registered earlier. Yeah, you haven't <laughs> registered at all. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I was so busy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know doing podcasts, talking yeah. about like Indiana Jones and talking about Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And joining us as ever for our four episode season, looking at the four Indiana Jones season, our wonderful special guest co-host, the wonderful Tony Black. How are you, Tony? I am very well, thank you. And I've just got one thing to say. I like Ike. <laughs> just wanted to put that out there straight away. Just, it's yeah. like, uh, um, I, I, I think when I saw that this movie first, I, um, I, it took me a second because there, there's a. Um, I was in Memphis one time, and they had a. Um, I was in like a diner, and they, they, they had this framed uh, photograph. Of Ike Turner, and it, it, was, it, was, it was donated to the um, to the diner by an organization called We Still Like Ike, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is kind of like a group of people got together and they're like, "Yeah, he beat his wife." But um, oh my god, yeah. great tunes! It's <laughs> not even like apologetic about it. Is the thing? It's not even yeah, like he's a he's a complicated, like, problematic thing. Like, no. They yeah. know what he's, he's done, but, um, <laughs> but no, it was, it was, it was Dwight Eisenhower. Yeah, uh, Indiana Jones not staking out a place on the culture wars uh, <laughs> no. that far in advance. Um, but yes, so we are talking today about the fourth Indiana Jones film, the, to put it frankly, contested sequel, Indiana Jones of the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, released in 2008. And actually, to my surprise, and I hope perhaps to the surprise of our listeners and our guests, it actually placed on the list. It made the list of the top 250 movies of all time on IMDb. Uh, it placed 165 on the 20th of May, 2008. 2008. It placed 175 on the 21st of May 2008, and then it disappeared into memory never to be spoken of again. And this is an interesting one to talk about. But before we do, Doesn't, I think we should... Did, did, did that happen with the um, Star Wars movies as well? It happened with the... It, it was more notable with the Star Trek movies, with the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies, oh, where okay. you can chart on the... So like the Phantom IMD. Menace didn't come in. Oh, Phantom Menace did come in. Oh, Phantom yeah, Menace yeah. was in for about a year, and Attack of the Clones was in for about Sorry, a year. Sorry, I, I meant more the, the contested sequels. <laughs> or prequels, <laughs> contested prequels. Contested uh, prequels, yeah, uh, yeah. But like, yeah, but it, not quite as quick and as sharp as this. But like, yeah, there are there are cases where you'll look at the IMDb and you will see the culture shift. So like the Abrams Star Trek movies, where like Into Darkness is on the IMDb for like two months at like 180, and then over the space of three days, it drops dramatically out of the list. 
Uh, the same three days, by the way, The Guardian publishes that poll um, about fans who hate it, Star Trek fans who hate it. So you can literally see the moment the culture goes, uh, no, these are now contested and contradictory movies. Everybody doesn't like these. We've told everybody and they've decided to act accordingly. So it's kind of fascinating to see that shift in, in real time. Well, yeah. Is 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 it is it a kind of a shift where, or, or is it kind of that... Um... Is it the 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 nerds who really love like and I I don't mean that in a pejorative way but the 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 people who can't wait you know for the, for these movies to come out kind of who already have made up their mind that it's brilliant um probably get it get it get it get into voting earlier and then well I mean that might be the case with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull but like with like Into Darkness it was on the list for two months after it was released right. And again, with Into Darkness, it's worth remembering that that was a well-reviewed movie at time of release, something like 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Audiences gave it an A cinema score. And it just literally, over the course of three days in August 2013, that's uh, four months after its initial release, it just drops out. Um, and again, it's interesting that those four days are the same four days that you see like fans voted the worst Star Trek movie at a big Star Trek convention. You see a lot of media coverage around that. It's just, again, it interesting. For the makers of the movie. <laughs> yeah, a, well, that was Simon Pegg got, got kind of pegged on the doorstep with that uh, and had to answer that, which was not a nice thing to have to do. Uh, where it's like, hey, fans think that your movie is the worst Star Trek movie ever. And he's like, have they not seen Star Trek V? Which is a fair <laughs> response to that question. But that we are not fair. talking <laughs> But we are not talking about uh, Star Trek V or Star Trek Into Darkness this week. We were talking about Indiana Jones and the King of the Crystal Skull. And there's a lot to get through. So to get us started, do we remember the first time we saw this? Because I imagine for the three of us, this is the first Indiana Jones movie that was released within our teenager adult lives. So, Tony, do you remember going to see Kingdom of the Crystal Skull when it released in May 2008? I do. I was uh, 25, nearly 26 years old. Uh, so this was a huge deal for me. You know, I've been excited about this for so long. And I went with a – I went on a, I, I took a girl, actually. I went on a date with a girl I, I was uh, – I, I I'd never been on a date with her before. <laughs> I took her to see Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystals. I did. Let's put it this way: she's not my wife now, and she and she actually um, fell asleep during the film. Um, in fact, I repeated the trick three years. Talking of Star Trek, I repeated the trick for the JJ Abrams film like a year later. So I kept saying to myself, "Why am I taking like girls I've gone on a date with to these films?" <laughs> Uh, <laughs> a bad first day. It is. It kind of is. <laughs> I mean, I did know. I did know them beforehand, thankfully. So it wasn't like I just met them. Oh, okay. And, like they were, you know, they were sort of friends first. It wasn't a blind date. No, no, God, no, no. 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 Um, <laughs> Here I, is everything you need to know I, about me. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I did go on a blind. Shushing them. I did go on a blind yeah. date to see. Um, I did go on a blind date much, much earlier to see. Um, Eight Mile, but that's a whole other story. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> The, this is my my fiance. I think our first date we we oh no 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 sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I was like, can I tell this story? No, no, I can't. <laughs> but yeah, it was. Um, it, she didn't particularly enjoy the film, but I did, and I I, I do remember uh, getting a lot from it. To be fair, but I am one of those Indiana Jones film fans, as people will have you know no doubt realised over the last three episodes, who just loves this franchise so i'm an easy target really but yeah i i was there i was super excited for it 
I can't imagine like spending four weeks with somebody who isn't a huge Indiana Jones fan talking about these <laughs> movies. I can't imagine what that would be like. Uh, and as a segue, Andrew, do you remember the first time that you saw Kingdom <laughs> of the Crystal Skull? Yeah, I, w- I was I was about I, w- I was I was eight. Um, <laughs> it was yeah, I was taken by my parents. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was a big um, important moment. Yeah, yeah. Still in nappies. Um, <laughs> Andrew went on a first date, but it was her suggestion. Skull. Um No, um yeah, I I I guess I probably saw it in the in the cinema. I'm not sure. I was recently telling Darren that I was reading my diary and discovered like the answers to some of these questions that he asks me that I'm not able to it's the reason I don't remember them is because I've written them down <laughs> so I don't have to I'm not sure Darren I'm not sure how about you yeah no I I remember this very very clearly because um, uh, I remember this was one of the moments where I had a kind of a, an awakening um, as a film fan or as a film nerd it's one of those moments in my life where I'm like, yeah, I am making a conscious choice here. So like, for example, when I was eight years old and I saw uh, Batman Forever on a plane and I discovered that movies could be bad. And that was a formative moment for me <laughs> as a child, realizing that it could have something I liked in it, Batman and be a bad movie. And that was important. So 2008, uh, which was when this was released, phenomenal year for movies, particularly if you lived in the UK and Ireland. Um, it was the year you got the carryover from the previous year's Oscar nominees. You got like No Country for Old Men. You got There Will Be Blood. In the summer, you got movies like, for example, Wally from Pixar, The Dark Knight, uh, one of the big blockbusters of the decade, if not the century. Uh, you arguably even got like the launch of the MC with Iron Man. It was a big summer for movies. And this was arriving as part of that and was kind of heralded as part of that. And I remember seeing it with uh, my partner at the time. And I had moved in with them um, at the time because their parents had like gone away for the summer. So we were kind of living together. And we went to see this opening night because I was a big Indiana Jones fan. As as Tony's pointed out, we've, we've spent at this stage over six hours probably talking about the movies. It's probably not a surprise I'm a big Indiana Jones fan. And we got out and we were walking back to back to their place. And, and it was like, yeah, um, you know, Darren, you 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 didn't really like that, did you? And it's like, no, it wasn't great. And that was it. That like that was that was it. It was like, nah, it wasn't really great. It wasn't really, you know, it wasn't everything that I expected or anticipated. But then we went back to the house. We had dinner. We went to bed and we continued living our lives as normal. And I remember in the weeks and months that followed, just kind of staring aghast, like Indiana Jones staring into the empty, vacant eye sockets of the eponymous crystal skull and watching what felt like internet culture having a complete meltdown in response to this movie and just wanting to shake them and go it's just a movie it can't hurt you it's okay um because like yeah like the release of indiana jones the crystal skull was a a big moment for me because it was a moment that wasn't so much about the film itself but about how like people who call themselves film fans react to things and take things weirdly personally and obsessively and i remember it being one of the moments where i'm like yeah i am never going to be like those guys like for me as a, somebody who considers myself a big nerd a big film fan watching the reaction to indiana jones the crystal skull was like yeah i i don't want to be part of that that's not what i want to do that's not how i want to react to something um so yeah it was it was a, it was a big moment uh for me but before we kind of jump into that just a bit of context for indiana jones the king of the crystal skull so obviously we talked last week about the trilogy capper last crusade 
one of the things that most notable about The Last Crusade was it was intended at the time to be the last Indiana Jones film. We mentioned that Spielberg had done a handshake deal with Lucas. He said he'd do three of these. The press at the time had been told this is the last Indiana Jones adventure. And the way in which The Last Crusade ends is very much explicitly this is the last Indiana Jones adventure. You have Indiana Jones rejecting... They ride into the sunset and they reject <laughs> immortality as a concept. Like the entire point of this is that time is liminal. Sorry, and that time moves and passes and that things die and that's okay. Nothing is immortal. Um, but despite that... There, there, some, somehow um, his father predeceases him. <laughs> um, Be- because Sir Sean Connery didn't want to reprise his role oh, wait, is the reason for both, that. They both drink it, right? I'm trying to remember from last week. Indy Indy does Indy does drink, drink from yeah, it to, but... te- to test it. And one one of one of the the Crusaders had, had kind of like lived into like um, uh, when he returned. Anyway, sorry, we're not talking about we're that. Not <laughs> yeah, but, but the, it, the, it the... sucks that 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 his father died so quickly after <laughs> drinking the, the cup of eternal life. <laughs> um. Because apparently, like apparently, machine gunned like Sonny from Godfather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, well, like to be fair, I think the Last Crusade they say that like the Grail doesn't work beyond the boundaries of the temple, so we're to assume that it it will only grant you eternal life if you stay in the temple that is destroyed. Which is really but, really crap, and, uh, isn't it? <laughs> to be fair. It's, it's a really, really yeah. <laughs> the it's small like a print. Spa. The fu- <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, the eternal health spa, but with really yeah. crappy service. Um, yeah. the, the restaurant isn't great here. Um, although uh, when we're talking to Alex on Temple of Doom, we know the gift shop is great at least. Um, but I mean, the thing is, so like Last Crusade ended and it was like, yep, this is the last Indiana Jones movie. Spielberg goes on. He goes on to do like he do, he moves on. He gets a new blockbuster franchise with Jurassic Park. He goes on. He reinvents himself as a semi-serious filmmaker. He wins the Oscar for Schindler's List, the thing that he's been chasing all these years. But there's always this kind of murmuring of, well, are they going to make Indiana Jones 4? And there are various suggestions and rumors and scripts. And you have people working on ideas throughout the 90s. And Spielberg's actually said, like, Indiana Jones is the only movie that his kids ask him about. The only movie that his kids say, Dad, when are you going to make a new Indiana Jones movie? So you have this sense of it kind of creeping up. Um, he's like, no, 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 we're going to do Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf is where it's at, uh, we've decided. We'll come to- his, his daughter is in this. And like Tom Hanks' children as well were saying, yeah. like, when are you going to make an Indiana Jones, <laughs> Jones movie? movie. Like, yeah. Ask your dad. <laughs> <laughs> very, yeah. very different energy uh, if we no, cast it. Sa- Sasha is in She's, um, I looked her up, she's a musician, and she makes portraits of, of, um, of people's pets. They're pretty uh, good, like both. Cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as in, like, um, like and, 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 and I, I guess it's, it's a matter of taste, but I was like, no, oh, yeah, I, I, I would, I would, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not offended by them. <laughs> <laughs> um. I do love the idea that Andrew's not a, like Andrew is like yeah let's not overreact to King of the Skull but the portrait pets painted by <laughs> Sasha Spielberg that's where the real outrage kind of lies. She plays yeah. Slugger in this. She's the girl that gets up and uh, um, like and defends her boyfriend. Yeah. Ah, yeah. okay. 
Cool. But yeah, so like during the 90s, there are various kind of scripts suggested to it, and it never really kind of comes to fruition. It never really develops. There are multiple drafts written. You have like Frank Darabont, um, the director of the Shawshank Redemption and the Green Mile and the Mist, even at one stage kind of does a pass on it. And eventually they kind of circle around to David Kep. And at the same time, like we mentioned, one of the big recurring themes of like Spielberg going back to Indiana Jones is that it, it often feels like a reset or a refresh for the director. So like after 1941 kind of like fails with critics and doesn't make a shed load of money, he goes, OK, I need to make like a roller coaster ride that proves I still have it. I can bring a movie in under budget and under time. And he makes Raiders. You have like the horrible thing that happens on the Twilight Zone and you have his own kind of separation. He goes, OK, I need to take a trip to across the world and just make Temple of Doom. And then you have like after, you know, the after making uh, was it the Color Purple and uh, Empire of the Sun, which like get lots of rave reviews. But Empire of the Sun doesn't perform well financially and he doesn't get a Best Director nomination for either. Spielberg's like, fine, I need to make a populist crowd pleasing blockbuster. And Crystal, King of the Crystal Skull is interesting because it arrives like after Spielberg has kind of gone through his bleak post 9-11 period. Um, so you have like he was arguably trended that way at the turn of the millennium with like AI and with like Minority Report. But then you get movies like, say, Munich and War of the Worlds, which are very grim, very gritty, very dark, very morally complex kind of stories, at least for Spielberg, a director known for being kind of like cheerful and playful and kind of like childlike wonder. So it's it's interesting that he then pivots after he takes a three year gap after Munich kind of stalls out at the box office and doesn't really perform well at awards and comes back with, OK, I have finally made it. I've made the fourth Indiana Jones films that you guys have all been bugging me to make. And that's King of the Crystal Skull, which is released in uh, summer 2008. Um, so before we jump in and talk about the movie in a bit more depth, three questions to get us started. Tony. Do you think that Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is one of the top 250 movies ever made? <laughs> um, no, I, 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 <laughs> I, I will. I am going to be defending this film today because I really do enjoy it. But no, there's just there's just no way. No, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, how would you rank it in terms of the trilogy? Is it like is it by default the worst of the four? I, I think probably. And obviously, you know, we, this will be an extended conversation in a few years when we get number five, which is being filmed. But I think right now, on a critical creative level, yes, I think it probably is. Um, in terms of favourites, it's not quite my least favourite. I would say my least favourite is Temple of Doom. But I enjoy this more. But I don't think it's as good as the other three. No. And, and I think that's probably generally the consensus, unless one of you two are going to surprise me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think if we're going to get a surprise, it's probably going to come from Andrew. Andrew, do you think that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is one of the best 250 movies ever made? Oh, like, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I did like that you opened with absolutely. Absolutely. Just to, like, for yeah, a second of suspense. Not. Yeah, absolutely. No, like, it's incredible. It's on the, the 250. It's, it's, yeah. There are, but there are, like, kind of egregious examples of movies. Or even people being upset at how high a movie gets like people they did i don't think endgame or infinity war were especially bad or anything but people were like what is this <laughs> mm. <laughs> um this, this is a silly silly list that nobody should make a podcast about. <laughs> 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 uh, but <laughs> and this is another example of that um yeah, yeah it's a it's a it's a it's it's a 
crazy daft movie. It's so <laughs> silly. Um, and um, no, 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 it's it's um, still stuff that I that I don't kind of enjoy in it. I mean, there's enjoyable stuff too. Um, but it, it, I, 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 I would say it's not not as bad for me as um, uh, Temple of Doom. Um, but it, like, it's 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 difficult to say because, like, part of the reason you do it, like Temple of Doom is 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 just such a kind of a relic. Um, and well, I mean, to be fair, it was also know. out of time. It, like, it, it wasn't as if like they like that wasn't racist back in the mid eighties. To be fair, <laughs> yeah. Like, no, but it, like this movie, Kingdom of Crystal yes, Skull, yes, it well, doesn't yes. have it doesn't have a warning when when you're about no. to watch it. Where it says this movie is bad. <laughs> it says <laughs> just like bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it just describes the movie. Whereas like if you go to watch Temple of the Doom, Temple of Doom, and on most platforms, as we said, it'll say this this movie contains outdated like cultural stereotypes and may be offensive to some viewers. Um. Um. Yeah. No. So did. did I, I beg your pardon. I don't know why it took so long for me to. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, and and I I would agree with that. Absolutely not. I like again. I don't think this is a like. I am a defender of Spielberg. I'm particularly a defender of late Spielberg. I think Spielberg's late career has some wonderful stuff in it. Like Munich, I think is fantastic. Uh, I think Tintin, which follows this the following year, is criminally underrated. I think Lincoln and Bridge of Spies are also legitimately great movies that deserve uh, a great deal more praise than they get. But yeah, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is not a good movie i would argue it's 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 awkwardly put together it has very serious problems with it uh so no i do not think that it belongs on the list of the 250 greatest movies um ever made um and i think like the why it doesn't work will be interesting to talk about when we get into the spoiler zone and then second question tony is it on your own personal 250 your own 250 uh, favorite I, movies I, I don't think so no i i I, no, I don't think it is because I don't think I put Temple of Doom on there, and I, I, I don't know. But in a way, I kind of want it to be because <laughs> it's Indiana Jones, and I do really enjoy quite a lot of the film. But no, I did actually since we uh, did record last, I did actually try and compile this list, and I think I'm about three quarters of the way trying to do it, and so far I don't think it's cropped up. Wow. So yeah, I wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, on Letterboxd. So, yeah, no. I'll say no right now. I don't think it is. Okay. Um, Join us next week for our 250th episode, which is just Tony listing his 250 (laughs) movies. Um, (laughs) And and Andrew, what about yourself? Um, Do you... Do you would would Indiana Jones: The King Crystal Skull be on your own personal two hundred and fifty favorite movies? Do an episode where we list our two hundred and fifty movies, and then we say like when it was released, and in 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 what areas and what months, and what was the box office growth? (laughs) 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 A list of things and numbers. Yeah, no opinion whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) I dare you. Machine. Dare you to do it seriously. (laughs) <laughs> um no it's not mine it's, it's there's like there's stuff I did, like I did, it's it's probably not spoiling it too much to talk about people who are in the movie like we talked about Shia LaBeouf I never enjoy Shia LaBeouf in anything um I think he, he I, I have a whole section prepared yeah, he, he's like, <laughs> I, 
my hot take at the time was that he'd been sent to kind of ruin everyone's uh, childhood for people's childhood, who <laughs> could be ruined <laughs> by um, by 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 somebody being 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 in movies and kind of like. Um, and then, like, by the like, kind of I, people who don't walk out of the movie, go that wasn't great, and then continue about their lives. Right, those yeah, kind of yeah, people. exactly. You know, but like with with like Transformers, I think, and I think there's more holes. examples. Sorry, At holes. You were the one big fan of the book Holes. You were like, "Yep, I mean, this is going to be a masterpiece." And then they're like, "Shayla Buff has been cast in Holes," and I was like, "Damn it!" <laughs> there, there was um, there was a big one as well that he was in. Where, where it's kind of Andrew like... reads the spec script Eagle Eye and he's like this is great there's a wonderful <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton role in here and then they announce the cast and he goes damn it <laughs> yeah no I, I, I suppose I suppose I, I I suppose I like him in kids but I, I'd, I'd have to re-watch kids and decide if I still like it because I've heard it's not good <laughs> um, uh, anyway sorry um, no it wouldn't be in my own um, dude, because because not 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 only are there things in it that I never enjoy in movies, but there are things in it that I often enjoy in movies that I don't enjoy in this. <laughs> Speaking of like like casting, like um, you know Ray Winston, I generally enjoy. And Jose, really, <laughs> um, it's not up there with the highs of Beowulf in terms of like his career. No, or uh, no Noah. Um, <laughs> Noah, you oh. slag. You slay. <laughs> Have it. I sometimes forget that film exists, and then I remember, yeah. and it's amazing. Like, it's terrific. Yeah. <laughs> this is like again, th like it's worth noting. Like one of the things about Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is that it is, I believe, the first movie that Spielberg made. Uh, with a company other than DreamWorks, uh, following on from, I think, Saving Private Ryan or Is It the Lost World, uh, where basically, like, Spielberg had founded DreamWorks with, like, um, who was it? It was the other guy was Kratzenberg um, and Gellin, I think it was, or Geffen. Geffen. Geffen, that's the guy, that's the guy. Um, but, like, I think this was one of the first ones that he did entirely without DreamWorks, because it's obviously a Paramount picture. And, like, Noah is one of those great movies where I'm, like, we talk in this podcast a lot about how terribly screwed Paramount is as a studio and how like they're struggling to kind of stay afloat and how they were once the mountain and they're now the molehill. And by the way, I love that this movie opens by turning the <laughs> Paramount logo into a literal gopher hill, which feels like the most <laughs> passive aggressive way for Spielberg to come home to Paramount, um, where it's like, yep, yeah, no, it was a mountain in Raiders. Um, it was a gong in in kind of temple. Uh, it was another mountain in Last Crusade. But now in 2008, Paramount is a literal molehill. But things like Noah, which is a movie that I adore exist. That's one of the reasons why Paramount are in the state that they are, where they're like, will we give this movie $160 million? Um, just like, you know, this Darren Aronofsky biblical epic, which looks like no other biblical epic in the history of cinema, is going to be incredibly <laughs> obtuse, alienating, aggressive. Not at all what conservative Christian wants. Not at all what, like, regular American audiences want. Not what middle America wants. Like, who is this for and can we give it more money? Which I kind of adore. I, like, it's a wild <laughs> swing that I love, but it's also one where I, like, I want to it's be like in the... If, if Paul Verhoeven read the script, would he be like, oh, this is a Noah story. <laughs> <laughs> 
And his, like, his wife like, would have to tell him to go back and look at it. And yeah, it again. Go, oh, okay. <laughs> like he did with Robocop. Yeah, uh, obligatory Robocop, Robocop reference. reference. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. And, and for myself, no, this is not on my own personal 250. It's the only Indiana Jones movie that wouldn't make that personal list for me. Uh, I much prefer Temple of Doom uh, to this because I feel like somebody in this podcast needs to stand up for Temple of Doom. Um, in case <laughs> you didn't listen. Moments. Yeah. Oh no, no, no! You don't have to justify or apologize for that. Um, and we'll like, and this no, is no Temple of Doom. Like, I'll yeah. I'll defend it to a certain extent. Like the, the 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 scene where like someone's heart's being ripped out. I really enjoyed that. A lot of people hated that. <laughs> They're like, why is this person being murdered? <laughs> Andrew's, Andrew's like, like more murder. Come on. Yeah. More <laughs> yeah, murder. Yeah. It's because they want to create a new a new uh, age classification <laughs> yeah. for a movie. Because <laughs> yeah. Gremlins is coming out in a month. <laughs> yeah. And we need we need a PG thirteen for that bad boy. Um, We're horrified by that because of how how cute um uh, uh Gizmo, were. Yeah, Gizmo, and, and Gizmo. Gizmo. Microwave. Yeah, Gizmo. Yeah, they they, they <laughs> Horrific because they they got like the sweet spot of like how cute can we make a thing and, <laughs> and how much like, can we torture what will we do thing? with it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, and and like this is interesting because like I rewatched uh, the King of the Crystal Skull this week for this podcast. I think it was the first time I'd seen it since two thousand and eight, and I'm kind of team Tony on this one, in that I'm not entirely sure that this is a good movie but i think it's an interesting one i think it's doing interesting things i think there's a lot to talk about i think it's ambitious i think it's clever i think it does very fascinating things with the character of indie and the mythology of indie and the themes of the larger franchise i just don't necessarily think that it does them as well as it can and i think that a lot of the things that we have already dinged it for, such as the presence of Shia LaBeouf and a thing, the things that a lot of other people ding it for, which is the CGI special effects, they do hold it back for me. But I, I was quite surprised coming back to rewatch it how much I found of interest in it. But no, it would not make my own personal 250. And then final question before we jump to the spore zone. Tony, if listeners have not already seen Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it? Yeah. Definitely, definitely. There, if if you're interested enough to listen to po- to, to three men talking about Indiana Jones, <laughs> maybe you've listened For to the other three weeks. episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, then absolutely, hundred percent. It is not by any means perfect. It isn't necessarily as good as the previous three, but you will enjoy it. I'm pretty sure if you've liked the other three, you will enjoy it because I think you will have heard a lot of. Over the many years, you would have heard a lot of people say, this is an abomination and all these terrible things about this film. And it's not. It's really not. So definitely go and watch it. And one of the interesting things about the reaction to it, and again, it's very similar to the reaction to the Star Wars prequels. One of the things that I have found talking to people who like the Indiana Jones movies is that the people who are old enough to have seen the original trilogy and then seen Crystal Skull are the people who tend to go, this is an abomination, this is not Indiana Jones, this is monstrous. Whereas younger viewers who come to the four films together tend to be like, eh, it's fine. It's it's grand. Mm. It's no better or worse than Temple of Doom, which I find fascinating as well. So I do think there is an interesting kind of age difference there mm. in terms of how you approach them, uh, oh. in terms of how... Ha- 
it's it's having a thing that you like as a child and forgetting that it's a thing that you like because you were a child. Yeah, and, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. Coming along to us later and saying like, "I want this to be." <laughs> I, want, I want this to be know, like it was when I was a child, and not like, understanding that the movie hasn't yeah. changed, but you have. You're, you're no longer an eight-year-old child. Rebooted with like Indiana Begins, <laughs> <laughs> dark and gritty. Yeah. I mean, the 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 there there's there's bits of the Last Crusade that I guess are a bit, a bit kind of like an oh. uh, yeah like we an, we an, talked uh, about that last or, week yeah, I think yeah, yeah. Exactly. we definitely talked about that last but, week um, but yeah well no I mean like and again not to derail the conversation like when we're on the cusp of jumping into the spoiler zone but one of the big defenses I've seen of it and I find myself maybe like not entirely convinced of it but a little bit convinced of it is that one of the reasons why the backlash to Crystal Skull was so strong was because, like, Crystal Skull arrived in 2008, which was around the time that you started seeing, like, nerd culture taking itself very, very seriously. We mentioned, like, the big blockbusters of the summer included, like, WALL-E, which is a great movie, but it's the most arthouse, like, inaccessible Pixar. It's, It's an absolutely beautiful movie, but it's also a silent movie for its first half, which is a big ask for an animated children's film, but which kind of screams, yeah, take this seriously. This is art. You have, like, The Dark Knight, which is... And I love The Dark Knight. I think The Dark Knight is one of the best blockbusters of the century. But The Dark Knight is like, what if Batman, but serious like Heat? And like, you know, what if Batman doesn't have a credit card anymore? Hypothetically, how crazy would that be? And it's like, yeah, we're taking this thing seriously. And even say Iron Man and the MCU. What have you done to his nipples? Yeah, where have his nipples gone? You've, you've, you've sanded them down. Um, but like even things like, say, Iron Man, which takes itself like considerably more seriously than, say, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man or the kind of Richard Donner Superman. And like we talked about the He's MCU. Going back where... to Ike. Yeah. And the, the <laughs> military industrial complex. Yeah. But like but like the idea that it takes itself relatively seriously and treats its material as something that is to be kind of venerated. And like the idea that, you know, oh, no, no, we, we, we think very seriously. We treat this this kind of pulpy material as art that is very serious and hefty. And then you have like Crystal Skull, which is like, you know, and this is not really a spoiler because it's a moment everybody knows. But like our hero is going to survive a nuclear explosion by riding inside a fridge. And like, I wonder, <laughs> like one of the arguments I've seen made about the reaction to Crystal Skull is that like, it offended a certain sensibility among certain kinds of viewers because it was goofy and childish and silly and unapologetically so. And a large, perhaps some of the response was a defensive, yeah, but the stuff I like isn't childish or silly or goofy. So <laughs> what, what are you saying? Why, why can't you treat it seriously? Um, and I do wonder if maybe that's maybe that's a factor. Is that fair to, to say or suggest? Mm, mm, I think so. I think it goes to what Andrew just said about how you view it differently as a child and you don't realize as a child, you do take things maybe a bit more seriously in a strange way. You sort of, you sort of buy into it, you absorb it. And then as you get older, you can look back on some of that child, childlike stuff. And hopefully with the perspective of, Oh, this is, this is great fun. And I have such reverence and love of it for how I felt as a child, but you can see it. Sometimes you can see those films for what they actually are, which is that they're probably not very good. Or sometimes in the case of Indiana Jones and the original trilogy, you can see how great they are as movies, but you can understand why you why you really bought into them as a child in the same way. I think those fans can't. And I think that's why when they when they come to something like Indiana Jones as an adult, Crystal Skull, even though it, it does, I think, in many ways, line up perfectly well with the other three in terms of the way it's made and the way it's approached, 
it, 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 they can't cope with it. Even though if you look at it, it's like you said, Darren, if you watch them, you know, first off as an back adult, back, yeah. back to back, you won't really, you'll, well, you won't really see the join, to be honest. Some things are different. Obviously, Harrison Ford's older, but, you know, and it's not as tightly written or as, or as tightly directed in some cases, you know, or plotted, but it is, it fits. You know, it is of a piece, I think. And I think that's where people can't see that. And it is absolutely about that generational thing. And when you watch these things, and you can say this about all of these kind of films, you know, as we've talked about, it's so often the case. Well, I mean, like, there's an entire generation of Star Wars fans. Like, when I came of age, I remember the Star Wars fans, like, having this mutinous reaction to the prequels. But now, you know, 20 years removed, I'm meeting people who are like, the Star Wars prequels are my Star Wars, and they love them as much as Mm. the original trilogy. And it's like, you know, I don't necessarily feel that way myself because Mm. I'm of the older generation, but I find that, like, incredible and heartwarming and kind of brilliant. And I'm really glad Mm. that they get the joy they do out of it. Mm. Um, But, Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think, is is there something to that? Is there, like, is there something to be said for the fact that, like, is this a childish movie? And do you think that some of the reaction to it was perhaps rooted in that? A response yeah, to that childishness. Absolutely. And you can see as well where the the, the kind of um uh man childness has has led with some of the kind of DC movies that got made. And some of the the the, 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 the exceptionally good movies or in enjoyable movies even in like Marvel have been ones I think like Thor Ragnarok that are kind of, you know, colourful and fun. And, silly, yeah. and like a little bit goofy. Um and 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 that this this is that, and it's kind of um em, embracing kind of what what um um in India is about, but it's not good. Yeah, yeah sorry. <laughs> yeah, they, they, um, but no, yeah. To 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 your point, like no, I I I, I accept that, and I, I I think um I think it's it's it it's good if people enjoy it. It's always great when pe- when people you know spend a lot of time making making these movies and where where and and for for it to get a fan base and, you know for people to enjoy it yeah absolutely why not and and would you recommend people watch the movie if they haven't seen it already uh, yeah yeah <laughs> like, like, like it's, it's kind of because it, it's it's sort of um, it's good even just to know about it you know because it it's. Indie is such a big thing to to kind of um... yeah. Indie cinema is huge these days. I mean, like the, the Oscars <laughs> have a designated indie slot. Um, yeah, I mean, people are worried it's... that like indie cinema is getting kind of too big. I think. To be well, 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 Lucas is an indie um, a filmmaker. Uh, filmmaker. Um, oh, by the way, um, uh, listeners, in both senses, listeners who appreciated our Temple of Doom episode will love to know that there's an upcoming segment of the George and Steve show which I'm very much looking forward to getting into on Crystal Skull, um, in which the two filmmakers decide who exactly is to blame for various aspects of this production. <laughs> so you have that to look forward to on the other side of the spoiler zone. I think originally in the 70s, they agreed to do five. So um, <laughs> yeah. there, maybe maybe there will be a, a fifth installment. <laughs> is that why we're doing this? Uh, well, there is a film installment coming next year directed by James Mangold. It'll be directed yeah, yeah. and without Lucas's involvement. And for myself, actually, kind of, yeah, I would recommend watching. In particular, I'd like recommend coming back to it today, 10 years removed from all the controversy and fever and anger and whatever over it. I don't think it's a perfect movie. I don't necessarily think it's a great movie. 
I think it's it's a fun movie. I think it's a silly movie. I think it has big ideas going on. I think it's doing interesting things. And I think that it is nowhere near as bad as the internet has decided that it is, if that makes mm. sense. Um, I don't think, you know, so yeah, I, I would recommend, if you are at all curious, uh, however, if you've already decided that you hate it, it's an abomination, uh, and that it's the worst thing to ever happen to the world, probably don't take the time to watch it, because it will just make Maybe your blood pressure rise. I, I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> do, do people get off a little bit on kind of complaining and shouting at things? That's fair. Yell that your is, is a great way of venting stress. Do you want to encourage that? Yeah. Uh, and then come on Twitter and come at us, bro. Um, <laughs> all right. With that in mind, then, we'll segue neatly. Losers. <laughs> <laughs> Haters going to hate, Andrew. And with, with that, we're going to segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Sorry. <laughs> Spoiler zone. <laughs> um, so Tony, um, as as special guest co-host, you managed to dodge this question for the pre- three previous installments. But what is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull about for you? I would say, uh, well, I, I've just um, I've just been to see Fast and Furious Nine, so my answer is going to be, yes. it's about family. Um, because it, it obviously special this. guest Vin Diesel. On the, yeah. <laughs> very thrilled that he showed up. Um, yeah, actually, was it made before coronavirus. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think so. Yeah, I hope it's so, all about Corona honest. and family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they do drink Corona in it, you know, as always. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I I think it's I think it's it's a kind of it's kind of about aging and growing up in some senses i think i mean indiana jones is is older he's he can't he he, he is for the most part doing the things he used to do even though and and to be fair harrison ford looks ridiculously good for a man of like 65 66 or whatever he is um doing that and you know if he manages to pull that off again as like 78 years old or whatever he is i mean wow and he probably will knowing him but um I mean, we should it, note that as we're recording this, they are filming the fifth one, and he just right. broke his shoulder during filming. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. he's oh, yeah. right. Yeah. That wasn't a joke. No, no, that actually happened. Um, and is, yeah. it, is it James Mangold? Yeah. yeah. Oh no. Yeah, no, think, no, no, it's real. It's like yeah. old man Indy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's actually it's happening like Logan, right now. But with Indiana Jones, is kind yeah. of actually what I'm like for. I saw this and I like quickly pushed it out of my mind. No, it's it, they're <laughs> filming it. They're filming it. It's quite funny because they're filming it in the northeast of England, and there's lots of pictures of Harrison Ford wandering around Newcastle and being harangued by fans. And he's he's just there's a picture of him finger pointed like he does, going just back off, leave me alone to the fans. <laughs> <laughs> they just swamping him in Newcastle. Um, get off my personal. Get off. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, yeah. I think you just got a sneak peek of Tony's recommendation of Harrison Ford points angrily this week. Um, I do love a good well, Harrison Ford points angrily uh, picture. Um, uh, as a sidebar, actually, self-promotion, but there's an episode of uh, Frame to Frame, the film podcast on my network, which which we did. 
uh, about Harrison Ford pointing angrily in films. I think we talked about Clear and Present Danger and The Fugitive. So like, because um, The Fugitive's got one of the best, so I didn't kill my wife, you know. Anyway, um, very, very sidebar in there. But yeah, I think it's, I think it is about like growing up with family and, you, you know, him finding his son and, and just the passage of time. And there's lots of points in it where there's reminders of the passage of time, like where he sees his dad's gone and Marcus Brody's gone and all these kind of things. So I think, and you know, the, the fact it's set in the 1950s and you have, the, the emergence of youth culture and rock and roll and all of this kind of stuff. And the world is changing. You know, it's at that crux point just before America and the world is really moving into the counterculture of the 60s and that kind of thing. So I think it is it is about that and it blends it all up with lots of B-movie fun. So I, I, I would say it's it's about family, which I suppose it always has been, you know, particularly Last Crusade is the same. You know, it's, it's like it's like the next extension of that, I'd say, as it goes on. The idea that, like, in The Last Crusade, in, it was about Indy and his father, and this is about Indy becoming a father, or yeah. really kind of, like, being a father. Um, now, I don't think the relationship works quite as well, in large part, because, like, Harrison Ford and Sean Connery have incredible chemistry together, mm. and Harrison Ford and Shia LaBeouf, um, <laughs> maybe less so, uh, with mm. no disrespect intended to Mr. Uh, LaBeouf, uh, which we will talk about Again, have a whole section uh, planned on the buff. But yeah, one of the more interesting kind of reads on like the Crystal Skull that I've read comes from David Ehrlich, the critic. Uh, I think he's written for like New Yorker magazine. He's written for IndieWire, various other places like that. And he's a critic who I don't always agree with, but who I always find fascinating to read. And his argument on it is, and it's it's a good one because I think with sequels like this with sequels that follow a beloved closing installment of a trilogy so like say the force awakens with star wars for example and like this with last crusade you always have this tension about like well you're undoing a happy ending because like those trilogies have endings they're happy the audience left they're like yep everything is resolved you know the rebels beat the empire um you know indy reconciled with his father so like those journeys are fine we don't need to see those characters again, even though we want to, and you have the push and pull of those. And I think that, like, what makes... The argument that Ehrlich makes for Crystal Skull is a very interesting one, because he argues that it it mounts a subtle criticism of The Last Crusade, where he argues that, like, in the original Indiana Jones trilogy, you have this constant tension facing the modern man between, like, the quest for adventure and the appeal of domesticity. And I mean, I think, like, when we talked about, like, Temple of Doom, I argued that was, like, the central theme of Temple of Doom, was it It was a divorce movie through and through. It's a story about this man who finds himself forced into a family unit that he doesn't want to be in, and this gigantic palatial household becomes a place of horror and torture and suffering um, and nightmares. And so then afterwards, he goes off and he becomes an adventurer who travels the world and does crazy things. And... At the end of Last Crusade, as we kind of hopefully talked about last week, we have things like the central arc of Last Crusade is Indy realizing that, like, the adventure is less important than his family. It's him realizing that the grail is less important than his father. Let it go, Indiana. Let it go. That kind of moment where Indy says, no, it's more important for me to be with my father than it is for me to find the grail. And Henry having the same journey as well. And the idea that at the end of Last Crusade, Indy chooses family over adventure. And Ehrlich's argument with Kirstel Skull is that it basically makes the point that Indy shouldn't have to choose. It should be possible for Indy to have both adventures and family. It shouldn't be a binary thing where he has to choose between, like, being with Marion 
and going on crazy adventures and, you know, being an archaeologist like he implicitly did at the start of like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Let's gloss over the I was only a child aspect of it. <laughs> but like in Crystal Skull, you have the idea that, no, these this weird dysfunctional family unit can have these adventures together. Like it's notable the movie opens, has the big action sequence that culminates in Indy ending up in the desert in the middle of a test site. But it's like it's as Tony pointed out, it's it's a very 50s setting. It's a very wholesome family. It's suburbia. It's this cliche of American domesticity. It's literally the nuclear family. And the movie opens by nuking the nuclear family, by burning and exploding the conventional household, the children, the, the, the wife, the husband, in this kind of 50s ideal. And then has Indy going on an adventure where he learns, oh, I have a child. Oh, the love of my life is also kind of doing this stuff. And, like, it's notable that, like, even the way in which Spielberg kind of shoots action sequences, like, I have a lot of problems with the big central Amazonian action sequence where they're kind of <laughs> journeying through this CGI version of the Amazon. But the way oh, in which... Sorry. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that is yeah. not an invalid point, Andrew. Mm. I, don't, I don't think, like, in terms of, like, as a piece I mean, of... But you, I mean, you, you can kind of say that it's fun, but it's, it just kind of it feels like... It, I just, you know, it's difficult to... If there are people that like it, great. And I like that they were that they tried to do it and all that sort of thing. But yeah, it's... but like, but like, even that action sequence again, like you have Spielberg's visual storytelling there, where the primary arc of that action sequence is the idea of a family staying together in a car. It opens with Indy, Marion, and Mutt in the truck driving the truck. They all get separated. A woman is trying to tear them apart. Yeah, a woman's trying to tear them apart. They end up kind of separated. They end up kind of breaking apart as a family unit. But it ends with them reconciled in another car driving off. infidelity. (laughs) What, like, Kate Blanchett (laughs) represents. She's always trying to kind of, like, steal their um, (laughs) um, their crystal skull. Which Which is their their, their family unity. Their love. (laughs) But, like, like... I, I think like um, but like if you're making an argument for like why the series needs to continue like why disrupt the happy ending of the last crusade I think that's a reasonable one to make which is like why does Indy have to choose between like being a family man and having adventures why can't he have both why can't the modern man have both sorry this is a very sex in the city podcast <laughs> on like last crusade like, it's like why can't the modern man have everything um, <laughs> I think I think the problem is that there's too much maybe faithfulness to the idea of Indy as this great guy is the problem I think if 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 you were to kind of make a more I, I, like I can't give advice to people about <laughs> making movies but for me what worked about the, the Last Crusade kind of like that we talked about is the whole kind of reconciliation arc but in in this, like, um, Indy doesn't know he's a deadbeat dad, and his child doesn't know that he's and that that his father abandoned him. So there's n- nothing really to forgive him for, yeah. or um, and the any kind of um, like it 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 feels kind of it feels sort of um low stakes I think as a result because like it 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 doesn't feel like they're working through things. Well it, it's a it to be fair, it 
it doesn't the whole film could have been made really much as i've said it's about family it could have been made without the revelation that mutt was his son you know you could have you could have made this film and made it about this essentially this the same kinds of things but it didn't have to hang on the revelation there you know it could have made you think that that was where it was going and it it didn't and it was more that this young guy who is who could be just marion's uh, child with this air force pilot who was killed is somebody that indeed has a father figure feeling with and it's not that he is actually his biological son but it's that it's that kind of thing that you know that's the george lucas effect isn't it you know it really is it's that whole you know that there is a biological connection they are you know connected it might have actually played a little bit better if Mutt wasn't ha- actually biologically the the jones child and actually it is more about Indy realising he can be a father figure to this young guy from a completely different generation, culture, world than him. He is essentially the stuffy old professor. He's become his dad in some ways, you know. He's a lot more swaggering and <laughs> daring do than, than Henry Jones Sr. was. But, you know, he's from a, a completely different world and universe. So that might have worked better. The fact that he is actually his biological son, like you say, it doesn't really have a lot of impact in some senses because there isn't like it isn't that whole thing that he knew about Mott and he just didn't care about him or didn't care for him and, and had his own life. Too focused on his work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that like would have been a kind of interesting. Yeah. Exactly. So it, it kind of it's like you say, it's it's a much of a muchness really. It's just so I think you can have that moment where he's your son and it's like, oh Indy has a son. And it's been like, oh okay. You know, By the way, like, and and again, like like visual storytelling, there is notable that when Indy finds out, he's literally sinking into uh, not quicksand, <laughs> but equivalent to quicksand. So you have this idea of, and again, like it's something that you're right, dry the, sand pit. the dry sand pit. But the idea that like that's what family kind of like might feel like to him, it might feel kind of suffocating, <laughs> overwhelming, draining. Yeah. Like you have, like and again, I think it's something the the script doesn't hammer enough. It doesn't get the theme across well enough. But I do kind of yeah. admire. But it, it's... it's a fear as well, I guess, which 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 uh, of becoming uncool, because what what you tolerate in the world is different to what you tolerate in your own kind of uh, life or children. That that wonderful mm-hmm. moment where he's like, "Get off the kid's case. If he doesn't want to go to school, it's not for everybody." It's like he's your son. Why did you let him leave school? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where like <laughs> like I have that fear kind of at the moment that I'm going to just kind of like. And end up kind of you know making boring choices and kind of doing like they, but you know they, like I want to do a lot of that boring stuff but in my own way and thinking kind of like um, no I'm going to insist that that child goes to university but, but he but he because but that's he, what you're meant to do he contradicts himself though doesn't he because earlier yeah. on when he's on with Mott on the bike and they're going through the library and that kid asks him oh Dr. Jones I have a, a question about and he says you gotta get out of the library kid you know he actually says that to him if you want to be a good archaeologist and yet and that's Mott has basically been out having adventures and exploring and being on his bike and yet you know what I mean so it's like he, it's that it's that push pull there he says it to Chess Hanks yeah An- another um, was that the famous rapper Yep, the famous rapper. No, that, really. Yeah. And and I, Chet yeah, talking yeah. to Harsh like that's the reason why we have the Chet hands <laughs> that we do today. Um, I do love, by the way, they yeah. shot that in Yale. Well, his father was a rapper. <laughs> did, 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 did the the rap for Dragnet? <laughs> <laughs> but 
they shot that. By, they shot that, by the way, in Yale. They actually shot that on location in Yale, which right. is interesting. Okay. Um, because Spielberg's children were going there, and presumably the, the suggestion is uh, in an interview with Karen Allen that uh, Spielberg had donated a significant amount to the university over the years. So when he said, "Can I shoot Indiana Jones there?" They're like, uh, "Yeah, sure." He has freedom of the university. <laughs> he, he can graze his sheep and ride his motorbike to the library. <laughs> it's what we what we all aspire towards. But yeah, no, like I, I, I kind of like that is kind of one of the ideas that I do find like interesting in it. I think that it has like something interesting to say there in terms of family. And I mean, and again, I think we talked about this when we talked about the two previous Indiana Jones sequels. One of the interesting aspects of like the three films following Raiders is that they are each a different type of sequel. It's like watching Spielberg and Lucas try to make three different types of sequels or three different models mm -hmm. of sequels and apply them to the film. So you have like Temple of Doom, as we discussed, is like, okay, we just take the character, we strip everything out and we just drop him into another type of story in another part of the world. It's and we... like a Bond yeah, premise. Um, it's just a completely, movie, yeah, it's a completely kind of different movie. setup. Yeah. And that, that's the way that you, 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 Bond movies manage to kind of, generally speaking, Although there 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 are exceptions, but generally speaking, you get another Bond movie that I mean these days is a bit different. And like I say, there are exceptions. But generally speaking, the way they're meant to work is that you have another movie after the the previous one that doesn't undermine anything <laughs> from from mm -hmm. uh, like you know yeah. that that's and 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 it's a real kind of a, a, a problem with sequels the way the way the way they do that i don't know is it is um like say with like alien 3 where they kill all the, the characters spoiler zone for all movies yeah which, yeah the, the, the whole kind of like happy ending of aliens which i love they, i love that they they ruin the happy ending i love that like yeah i do <laughs> i do i do love alien alien 3 by the way i i i i, I it it's it's a great Fincher movie because uh, like I I don't like some really um, uh, devastating movies um, with really kind of um, bleak um, conclusions, but um, but I, I I I did like Alien Tree. These kind of sequels, um, in a way, though, are more they're more interesting, aren't they, than just the you know the let's do the, the the same one again but bigger and let's add more characters you know if you if you're at least mixing it up and trying something different within the paradigm then that's definitely more it makes for more interesting well, sequels i think that's what i was gonna say so like a temple of doom is the like james bond model it's the same character no real continuity between the two because it's a prequel new female lead just drop him into the story it's a new setting new stakes new rules new genre you don't have to explain why he's a yeah. whore okay <laughs> like... <laughs> and and then like Oh, and it's a prequel. And, yeah, and that, like, but, but as, as Tony pointed out, you could entirely miss that watching the movie and it would make no difference. Yeah. Um, but, and then, then after that, you do like The Last Crusade. And The Last Crusade is a different type of sequel altogether. It's a, okay, people liked the first movie. Let's do the first movie again. Let's hit a lot of the same beats, a lot of the same set pieces. Let's bring back the same villains. Let's bring in the same mythology. Let's include lots of shout outs and references. Let's reference particular shots, particular beats. Let's drop in the same cues from the soundtrack. And let's just do the first one again, but in with a slightly different emphasis within it with new characters, as Tony suggested. And that's kind of like the kind of sequel that Last Crusade is. And then you get to like this, which is King of the Crystal Skull. And it arrives in 2008, and it's one of the first examples of this that I can really think of. But it reminds me a lot of the modern legacy sequels. And I'm thinking of movies like, for example, the Star Wars sequel trilogy is one. 
I'm thinking of like Bill and Ted Face the Music is another. I'm thinking like Star Trek Picard on television is. Where you have this idea of taking an old actor, old character who is beloved, dropping them into an adventure with a presumed heir apparent, which is obviously not going to turn out to be the case in real time. But you have this idea of it almost being kind of a passing of the torch. Whereas Tony mentioned, it's about this character growing old or getting older, kind of becoming his father and dealing with kind of the generational kind of shift between the two. And I don't think Kingdom of the Crystal Skull does that particularly well, does that model of sequel particularly well. But I, I kind of love that, like, of the three sequels you have to Raiders, all three of them take a different approach to how you make a sequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I find it fascinating that, like, as Andrew and as Tony mentioned, it's like, it's not just the same formula repeated over and over again, which is, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, in a way, admire the way they do sequels, because they don't, they go, they reference back things, and they don't really, they, they don't they don't really undermine much that that's kind of they build upon they say remember that from remember that from the tv show or even yes, yeah. there's a shout out there to the young indiana jones chronicles yeah exactly but it, it's not it's not like it's not something where if you haven't seen it you're you're going to kind of miss out or anything either um uh, maybe maybe with marion like if you if you don't but I, I guess why are you watching this, maybe? <laughs> if you haven't watched at least one, like, Raiders. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, again, it, it's worth noting that it was always going to be Marion. Like, even back in interviews in 1989, that they when they were doing kind of... Pro- it's like she hasn't aged a day as well. Karen Allen, like Karen Allen, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, like, it's incredible. It's worth noting, like, what Karen Allen was doing, which I find... Fa- like, this is one of those things where, like, because Karen Allen was not a mega superstar... Um, she like had her own life outside of movies and Spielberg had to literally ring her up and say, hey, you want to make uh, Indiana Jones like a sequel to that movie we made 27 years ago? Um, she owns <laughs> a knitting shop um, in Massachusetts. <laughs> wow. That's great. She is terrific in this yeah. and in um, uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. She's a great kind of energy that's, that, that, that was kind of um, like, I, I mean, we'd, we'd, we 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 uh, we won't blame Kate Capshaw for her for her character in 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 Temple of Doom, but yeah, no, it's 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 she 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 does a terrific kind of um, uh, performance here. There's something very kind of charismatic about her. I think. Um, and like again, like even back in in like '89 when they were asking like, what about like indie or the indie girls or that sort of thing? The Indiana's Jones, I think, is what the LA Times called them. Like the preemptive <laughs> name for Indiana Jones is love interest. Um, like Lucas, Lu- George Lucas was very keen in 1989 that Marion was always going to be Indy's best hope at a long-term relationship. Um, the assumption can be that they went off and were at least good friends. Her character was his equal as much as any of them have been. And I think you're right. Like you couldn't bring back Willie, uh, for this. You couldn't like, obvious, there are very obvious reasons why you couldn't bring back Elsa from this either but even <laughs> even if Elsa hadn't died you couldn't bring back Elsa for this I think it did have to be Marion to be fair to it uh, which is which is interesting yeah I think she's because that I suppose that's the difference well I, 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 you know you mentioned Bond earlier and there's obviously a lot of connectives between these two franchises in many ways but I think I suppose the the difference is that yes India has a different female love interest in every film but it, it kind of goes back to what we've now seen, I suppose, in the Daniel Craig era of Bond, in that Vespa was the one, you know, that Marion is the Vespa of the Indiana Jones franchise. 
Um, whereas for years, Bond didn't have that. It was just a different girl, rinse and repeat every single film for years and years and years and years. You never really got the sense, um, you know, back in the 60s, obviously, it was Tracy, you know, the one who he marries, but you never, but it, oh, yeah, they didn't really um, do anything with that. Right. But they've 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 not updated that since. But even then, after that, she's not really referenced. Like Trace, Tracy. No, exactly. She is. She, in, in, in for your Ra- eyes Roger only. Yeah, there, there's a tease in yeah. the teaser to for your eyes only. There's a reference yeah. to Tracy. That's it. But that's it. And he, he it, there's no. Yeah, in the in the teaser to for your eyes only. That that's it. Yeah. And then he jumped. And then he dumps Blofeld down a chimney stack in a helicopter. And it's really. Um, <laughs> it's an odd, very odd sequence. But. <laughs> Oh wow, well, yeah, um, but but yeah, I think that that's the thing with Marion in that she fits that very clear that she is the one that got away. I guess in that sense, uh, uh, but you know the the indie films, they the difference is, I think that the Bond movies, the Bond girls, quote unquote, which is a term that's a bit outdated now, but they were part of the formula in a different way. I think to the the indie girls. I don't think it was ever really about the indie girls like Willie or Elsa. You know, particularly in those sequels, Marion was different. Marion was very key to Raids of the Lost Ark in a way that I don't think it was the quite the same with the subsequent girl, women. So I think the fact that she's brought back here as indie is older and indie can't really be because he's an older man. It doesn't work the same that he's going to you know cop off with a girl you know in a it's not going to be that in crystal skull and i very much doubt it will be that in indy five whatever that's called um and we don't know if marion will come back in that yet i suspect she will even if it's just for a cameo but you know i think that's that's the difference and i think that's why it does make sense that she's back in this in that older context you mentioned that she may come back for indiana jones five you know who isn't coming back for Indiana Jones 5? Who very definitely isn't coming back for Indiana Jones 5? Who hasn't been, coming, Ford. Who hasn't been <laughs> coming back for Indiana Jones 5 since 2017? And there's a story like clockwork. Whenever, whenever Indiana Jones 5 moves forward, there's a story about how Shia LaBeouf will not be returning for Indiana Jones 5. <laughs> do, do we know this, like the story behind Shia LaBeouf um, and The King of the Crystal Skull? Um, and everything else involved with that. Um, so I guess that he he like. Um, well, sorry, no, actually, I'm not. I'm not going to guess. Well, it'll just end up being unfair to Shia. I think off. hadn't he made at this point Disturbia, and that came out and was quite a low key hit. That's a very good film, actually. Like it's a, like a modern rear window in a way, that isn't it? But I think um, not as good, obviously. But it was you know it was decent. And he kind of got some traction, I think, hadn't he, at that point? And wasn't that just before this, Darren? So Shia LaBeouf was one of those actors who Spielberg had chosen. Like, Spielberg has, throughout his career, worked with, like, incredible child actors. Like, obviously, like, Drew Barrymore on E.T. is probably one of the great examples. And, like, there's a really heartwarming, wholesome clip of the Drew Barrymore show on her birthday where Spielberg calls in and tells her how proud he is of her career and how pleased he was to work with her. And she literally cries. It's it's amazing and beautiful. He obviously also worked with Christian Bale on Empire of the Sun, so he has this kind of like he's worked with child actors throughout his career. The thing with LaBeouf is it seems like Spielberg decided LaBeouf was going to be the one. He was going to turn LaBeouf into a star. He was going to make him a teen icon because LaBeouf had been a child actor. Um, he kind of came up. I think Disturbia, Spielberg is either a producer on that or he had some input on the casting. The casting of Transformers, the Michael Bay movies were produced by Spielberg as well. 
And Transformers. Like, How did I forget those? Well, actually, I know why I forgot those. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the one yeah. <laughs> um, but like, so like Spielberg had decided that like LeBuff was going to be the guy. He was going to make an old-fashioned movie star in the same way that like they used to in the old studio system. It's like, yeah, LeBuff is going to be my guy. And Crystal Skull was the big moment where it's like, yep, yeah, we have been. I've been producing you for decades now, or over a decade now. We're going to work together. And you're going to be the next Indiana Jones, which is a lot of pressure to put on absolutely anybody. But you also do wonder, like, would you really bet the house on Shia LaBeouf? Um, um, and LaBeouf, to be fair, I suspect it was an unwinnable assignment. I suspect whoever played uh, Mutt was going to come in mm. for the hatedom of the internet because the internet, by its nature, does not like the suggestion that the people it loves are getting older and that we might need new replacements for them. Oh, Wall Street. Yeah, money never talks. Yes. <laughs> yeah, money never yeah. sleeps. Money never yeah, sleeps, sorry. Yeah. Money does talk, but I was trying talk, to think of what sleeps. the other example of a movie that you kind of like from the 80s that Shia LaBeouf is coming into, and maybe not in mm. an additive way. <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, so yeah, and, and it was actually during the press for uh, Money Never Sleeps that like LaBeouf kind of vented on Crystal Skull. Talking about, like, I feel like I dropped the ball on a legacy that people loved and cherished. If I was going to do that twice, my career was over, so this was fight or flight for me. Um, and then, like, Spielberg apparently was like, yep, no, you don't get to do that. You really don't get to trash the movie that we made together. Um, and so LaBeouf then says, oh, Spielberg called me and told me there's a time to be a human being and a time to have an opinion, and there's a time to sell cars. It bought me freedom, but it also killed my spirits because this was a dude... I looked up to like a sensei and apparently like that was not enough in terms of burning his bridges for LaBeouf. A few years later, um, he would give a big interview to the Hollywood reporter where he says, you know, I grew up with this idea that if you got to Spielberg, that's where it is. I'm not talking about fame. I'm not talking about money, but you get there and you realize you're not meeting the Spielberg you dream of. You're meeting a different Spielberg who is a difference in a different stage of his career. He's less a director than he is a company. Uh, open brackets. Spielberg declined to comment. Close brackets. <laughs> Spielberg sets are different. Everything's so meticulously planned. You got to get this line out in 37 seconds. You do that for five years. You start to feel like you don't know what you're doing for, for a living. You know, I don't like the movies I made with Spielberg, the book says. The only movie I liked that we made together was Transformers 1. Um, and he talks about Crystal Skull. Um, and it's like, I prepped for that movie for a year and a half and then the movie comes out and it's your fault. That hurt bad. And so you have this kind of thing where LaBeouf is kind of like trashing the movie and trashing his relationship with Spielberg. I think at one stage he even said, you know, he even came out and said Harrison Ford wasn't happy with the movie either. Um, which is, you know, and again, I don't know. I just, I, I kind of, I, I, and, and like we should acknowledge, by the way, that LaBeouf has like more serious accusations against him in recent years. Um, LaBeouf has had a very troubled career, very troubled life, and uh, has been implicated in in various things that are much more serious than trashing his working relationship with Steven Spielberg. But yeah, I, I just, I never really sat comfortably with, with LaBeouf doing this kind of stuff. Um, mm. I mean, I, I it, you don't know. I mean, it's hard to say, isn't it? I, I, I think that there might be some nugget of truth in some of what he says. You know, was Harrison Ford as happy with this as the other three? Maybe not. You know, was did he did did he find that 
that Spielberg is is different than maybe the you know the auteur that he grew up hearing about. Maybe you know you just don't know. But I think I think a lot of I suspect a lot of what he said subsequently was was built a built in frustration. I think when he said that you know it's your fault, I think that probably cuts to deep with this. I think a lot of it is probably some frustration that he got he blamed. got a lot of the blame for why this film didn't. You know, I, I, it's not that it necessarily didn't do well, but more that it didn't critically or you know publicly set the world alight. And I think, like it earned eight hundred million dollars, which is interesting. Like, yeah, it well, did well, fine, but I, I think I anyone think, would have been damned. I, no, sorry, I, I'm just. I, I think I think anyone, like you said, Darren. I think anyone would have been damned in this role, really. And I think it it was a very very difficult part for anyone to play. I, I, was he the right guy? I don't think so <laughs> as well. I think he was wrong, the wrong guy for that role. But yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Well, with, I think his point about Spielberg, like when, and there, there is, uh, I agree with, with, with um, Spielberg or, uh, uh, who said like, there's a time to have an opinion and there's a time to kind of, you know, be a human being or like be decent or appreciate kind of the opportunities that somebody has given to you. But he's also probably right. The, the the per 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 perhaps about Spielberg and I I I think kind of like the the it can seem like a criticism of Spielberg but it feels to me and and like I don't <laughs> obviously but uh, obviously I don't know the person but it's, it's feel it feels to me kind of looking at his career that Spielberg is a person who who does want to be like Coca Cola or like like kind of um one of those kind of big American brands that kind of re- reaches everybody and didn't want to be kind of a, a, a fringe or a kind of a difficult um, uh, uh, directorial voice. Like the, so the, 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 the kind of criticism about him becoming kind of a, a, a company, there, there, to some extent, there, there, there has been mm. that kind of like safe corporate kind of direction mm. for uh, Spielberg, and I don't I, I, like. I, I don't know even if it is a criticism. It's either you mm. like it or you don't. Um, yeah. but but it it it's it's one thing kind of being aware of that oneself, but hearing somebody kind of um who you've who whose career that 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 you've helped um say it as uh, and state how much of a disappointment it was um yeah it, it just kind of seems very um yeah anyway yep. just on yeah on, quite bitter sorry, yes. quite bitter, quite bitter. Yeah. Um, and, yeah and again yeah, like yeah. there's a lot more going on with the book that's not within our remake to cover we will include notes in the show notes and things like that but again just with Mutt, like a couple of things I, I find interesting uh, with Mutt as a character. One, I think the movie never really figures him out. I don't think the movie figures out what to do with Mutt. I don't think it figures out what his deal is. It tries to present him as a greaser. It dresses him like Marlon Brando um, in The Wild One. But it, it's so silly. Yeah, but it, uh, there's, nothing, <laughs> so, there's, so there's nothing wrong with it being silly, but I think the movie doesn't figure out like what it's doing with him, where it seems like he should be a beatnik rather than a greaser. Is what if like the character mm. as written behaves and sounds like a beatnik rather than a greaser, and it just doesn't really work. And there's also a weird kind of hedging where, and it's it's something that you see like with the later Star Wars sequels as well, where there's a sense of okay, we want to lay the groundwork to acknowledge the fact that like Harrison Ford is a mortal man 
who has not drank from the Holy Grail and is 64 years old at this point and will be 78 when we make the next one. But, like, we want to have something in place to possibly, like, replace him or to pass on the fedora. But we're not willing to, like, go the whole hog. We're not willing to commit wholeheartedly to this idea. We're not willing to have Indies seed the stage. So you have that moment at the end, which is this horrible hedging moment where, like, they're at the church. Indy's gotten married. The door blows open. The fedora blows down. Mutt leans down and picks up the fedora. And it's like, oh, is this what we're doing? Is this a passing of the torch? Is the franchise saying... Okay, look, India is, is old. It's maybe time for a new indie, a new generation. And then Harrison Ford just snatches the fedora out of uh, out of Mutt's hand, as if to say, "No, kid, I, still my show. I'm still here." I reckon. <laughs> I reckon they probably fill them both. <laughs> and like, how the edit was going. <laughs> like test tested it. Yeah. Okay. Fedora goes you back. Yeah. Like indie yeah. <laughs> Indy takes the fedora back at the end. But that is kind of one of the things that I, I find like one of my frustrations with Crystal Skull is how it hedges. And you see that a lot with the Star Wars movies where like at the end of like the, you know, the, the Rise of Skywalker, it's like Lando who saves the day. At one point, Lando literally leapfrogs like Poe's like, I got it. Poe's like, I got it. We're going to solve this. We're going to do this. Don't worry. We got you covered. And Lando's like, ah, 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 kid, take, take your cue. Land, daddy's home. Daddy knows how to deal with this. Thank you very much. Um, And it's, it's an interesting thing about like the nostalgic pop culture in which we find ourselves. Um, just in terms of kind of Crystal Skull, I have a big, crazy swing I want to make for this movie. Completely out there, completely nonsense, likely completely absurd and ridiculous, but something I was thinking about while watching it. I think Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is a thematic exploration and response to uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark and perhaps a maturing of its core themes. What we talked about when we talked about, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark is we talked about the idea that, like, Spielberg had made 1941, which was this black comedy that was cynical about the greatest generation, and Spielberg doesn't didn't have it in him to be cynical about the greatest generation, so it, it failed horribly. And then he makes Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Raiders of the Lost Ark is a li- very black and white movie, often literally. It's very, like, Sulcum's cinematography is very high contrast, there's lots of silhouettes, there's lots of blacks, whites, characters stepping out of shadows. And it's a very, it's a movie with very clear sense of good and evil. It's like, it's the myth of the Second World War. It's the Americans' liberal democracy fighting the Nazis, these fascist monsters. There's no real shades of grey between the two. And what I think I find interesting about Crystal Skull, if I was making a pitch in defense of it, is that it feels very much like a maturing and a reflection of that. It's Spielberg coming back to Indiana Jones 27 years later in his career when he's grown as an artist, and saying, but what if it isn't as clear-cut as that earlier film made it seem? Um, and this is what, like, what I think, if I were making a big pitch for what Indiana Jones, The King of the Crystal Skull, is about, I think it's about that. Because obviously, most literally, you have the shifting of the movie from the like moral clarity of the lead-up to the Second World War into the Cold War era. Throughout the movie, you have this constant like paralleling and juxtaposition where things are not rigid binaries. It's not us or them. It's not like the Allies versus the Nazis. It's not God coming down from heaven and saying, these are the villains and I'm going to burn them alive. These are the heroes and I'm going to save them. You don't, even the cinematography, uh, because I think it's Janusz Kaminski, um, who worked on all of Spielberg's films since uh, Schindler's List, 
is filming this. And he he said himself, I didn't want to make it look like Solicom's work. So it looks a lot brighter, a lot more washed out. The contrast isn't as clear when you're watching it kind of visually because you have like these browns and these greens, which kind of just fade everywhere. Um, and it, it looks different than the earlier films. You have like in, just talking visually about it for a second, we talked about like in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you have these moments of like strong silhouettes where like shadows will appear on the wall, like when Indy goes into Marion's bar, or the silhouetting of the crew mining at night when they're looking for the Ark. And it's very much, it's light and dark against one another. One of the interesting things I find about Crystal Skull is that like light and dark don't exist in opposition when you look at how it's shot and how it's filmed. Think of the sequence where um, Indiana Jones is being interrogated by the Russians, where he's in the jungle in the Amazon tied to the chair, and you have him in the background and you have the skull in the foreground and you have Ilana looking at it, but you have the net between the two and you have the lighting so that his silhouette is on the mosquito net, but you can see Indy himself within his own silhouette. It's not black and white. That moment later on where they're in the tomb and they're picking up the skull and Oxley lifts the skull so you see the silhouette on the wall, but the silhouette on the wall lines up with the color imagery that you can see. It's not black and white. It's this idea that like shades and shadow exist with color, even visually within the world of the film. And you have within the Crystal Skull itself, this shift from, well, okay, the Nazis are the bad guys to the Cold War era, where you have this paranoia and uncertainty. At the start of the movie, Indiana, like you have the Russians driving to Area 51, but they present themselves as American soldiers. They're dressed like American soldiers. They're treated like American soldiers. They look like American soldiers. They drag Indiana Jones out of the trunk to identify an alien artifact. The reason why they do that, he mentions, is because 10 years earlier, the US government bundled him into a car, put a blanket over his head, and had him identify an alien kind of thing. So they're not different. You have like Mutt, sorry, Mac, who is constantly switching sides because there's no clear delineation between good and evil. Mac doesn't have a clear principle. Mac is working for the Russians who... It's like, I, w- I, w- I, want, I want to be insanely rich, so I don't know which to go with. Like, should I go with these capitalists or the communists? But, but like, but like that, that's, that's the thing about it, is like but, the, the communist pay. He actually says the communist... Yeah, do, pay. You do, have this yeah. idea that like even the divide between communists and capitalists isn't kind of like as clear or linear as it sounds. You have this big yeah. moment where like... It's the interesting thing in the Cold War, because you have all of these kind of um, like Soviet defectors who 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 would stay kind of like in place, uh, but they had these Swiss bank accounts full of all this money that they can't spend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of um, waiting hopefully for the Soviet Union to collapse so that they could become terrible people um, and embrace <laughs> capitalism. But like you you, you have yeah. this like the big speech um, that she gives, like the big speech that um, what's her name, um, the character played by Kate Blanchett, and I feel bad that I... Spalco. Spalco. The big speech that she delivers where she talks about how we'll be everywhere at once, more powerful than a whisper, invading your dreams, thinking your thoughts for you while you're asleep. We will change you, Dr. Jones, all of you from the inside. We will turn you into us. So you... And, like, you have this idea that, like, there are no boundaries. The interdimensional beings, which we'll talk about in a moment, they don't exist in a simple place. They're not here, they're not there. According to Oxy, they are in the space between spaces. They are, according to Spalco, a collective consciousness. They exist all at once. At the climax, the entity comes into being by kind of brushing itself together. And again, that theme we talked about of family, where because this is a movie that explicitly rejects the idea of binaries, 
Um, it's not that Indy has to choose between his career and his family. He can have both. He can contain multitudes. And I think like there's a sense in which this makes sense as a film coming from Spielberg in 2008, where so much of his post 9-11 output was about dealing with this kind of like deconstruction of the American myth of exceptionalism, where it's this idea, are we so radically different from the things that we positioned ourselves in opposition to? Do we compromise ourselves and our values? There's a wonderful moment in like Munich, the last film that he made before this, where the Israeli prime minister says, there's a moment where every society has to negotiate compromise with their own values. Um, and you have this idea within Crystal Skull, where I think you have Spielberg going back to his most clear cut, his most straightforward, his most basic story of good and evil in that it's a movie where God comes down from heaven and smites the Nazis because they're evil. And in Crystal Skull, you have, but wait, is it really? Because like I mentioned at the end of Raiders Lost Ark, we talked about how the Ark feels like a benign, like romantic fantasy of the nuclear bomb. Like it, it's this, it's a nuclear bomb that does not kill innocents. It only kills combatants. It works on a moral judgment, moral calculus. And it's like shot the same way, the faces melt. But like here in Crystal Skull, you have the ax Indy confronted with the actual nuclear bomb. That like mm. magnificent shot of Harrison Ford getting out of the fridge, walking up the hill and mm. staring at the mushroom cloud. And I think amazing shot that is. It, it's astonishing. It's amazing. And here yeah. is my crazy, crazy, crazy cherry on top pitch here. Spielberg shoots that nuclear attack. Very similar to how he shot the arc at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm. Like, so you have the faces melting on the mannequins. Yeah. You have the wall of fire. You have the tall column of smoke reaching up and parting the heavens. And so you have this kind of juxtaposition of, like, well, back in Raiders, I imagined the bomb, or I imagined a romantic version of the bomb that, like, didn't kill innocent people, didn't destroy families. But here I am, 27 years later in my career, confronting the reality that, no, it, it does kill families. It destroys absolutely everything. And there maybe isn't any real moral value to its use. And, like, it's notable that, like, in that sequence... Sorry, sorry, apologies. I, I realize I've been kind of rambling for a bit. But just, it's notable that that sequence comes directly after he shows the arc. The arc makes a reappearance during the Area 51 sequence. And he actually shows you the arc as well perhaps to make that connection. But sorry, that's that's my big long rambly what is the crystal skull about kind of pitch. Well let me let me say something crazy. I I, I agree with you. I think it doesn't do it well. <laughs> but um but no it, it I I I think it, it it that for me kind of aside from family kind of what it was the the kind of um uh, other sort of um theme in it was was the, the the it's interesting that it doesn't it doesn't really um talk about race i guess i mean they 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 have a kind of a reference to it, it certainly felt reminiscent to, to to me anyway of the of the great dying where you you have um a a, a kate blanchett's um, soldiers kind of walking over the bodies of all of these na na um, native people in um, in the Amazon. Is, like I, I, it, it's about fifty. They reckon it's about fifty six million people 
died of like a combination of of um like um uh, war um disease and um and famine in 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 the new world it, it, sorry it, it, as in the, the post columbus but well, um, but it's interesting you mention that though because the guy the first guy who goes looking for the for the crystal skull is Francisco de Orellana. He's one of those guys, isn't he? He's one of the conquistadors, yeah. and he goes looking for the skull in like the fifteenth, sixteenth century. So that's that's exactly that's it, isn't it? That's the direct connection back to back to that legacy, really, of all that death. And it's a kind of a reckoning with that, and also with like kind of uh, McCarthyism and uh, J. Edgar Hoover and um, and the bomb. Like, like it's not Spelko who gets Indiana Jones fired from his job. It's not Spelko who forces mm. the university to like take away his tenure. It's the Americans. It's the FBI. Um, and again, you know, it, not to point the obvious parallels between like where the states are now or whatever, but like again, in the context of two thousand eight, this was Spielberg coming off making movies about the war on terror, and in particular, like the paranoia and the like patriotic fervor of the war on terror that like led to things like you know more benignly the rebranding of like french fries as freedom fries but like less benignly kind of a culture of shutting down anybody who dared criticize kind of the way that things were it, it actually this film and i last year i watched it around christmas and i did write a piece about the politics of this film because i think it's i agree with everything you guys are saying and it feels actually more directly political in some ways than the other three films. You know, it's, you know, there are much more references to the fear of communism, you know, the anxiety of the red, you know, there's, there's a big demonstration on the campus, isn't there? Better red than dead, you know, and it's, it's a bit more acute. And this, this is why I think I've always genuinely defended the nuke in the fridge sequence. It, that is hated by so many people, right? And they say it's ridiculous. No, I, I have always thought that sequence is brilliant absolutely brilliant for many of these reasons in that you know it is a film that is directly showing the you know the uncertain murky sort of politics and and um you know that like you say the lack of shades of gray of this of this world at the end of the 50s as the world is changing fast at the in the cold the cold war is at its hottest in many ways you know it's like a few years away from cuban missile crisis all this stuff is going on and i think i think it's great Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I think it's great. And it's like fifty-seven, two years later. It's it's, um, Godfather two time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I love that about it, though. I think, I think all of these things have have really been missed by the audiences over the years. I think, you know, yes, okay. It, it, I, I would argue that probably the first half an hour or forty minutes is probably the strongest chunk of this film. And I think once they start to get go to Akator, it sort of goes downhill a bit, really. but that's why it's so good. And I think that's also why the um, quote-unquote aliens or interdimensional beings makes complete sense. You know, not just the fact that it's a B a B movie play in the same way that the original films, particularly Raiders, was a play on the adventure serials of the 30s, that this is a play on the B movie, the 50s B movie, which again is a great choice. But I think it's very, very, it's very, it makes a lot of sense if we're looking at all these themes about the Cold War and, and communism and uncertainty and paranoia. Well, aliens is, and, and the fear of alien life and alien invasion and alien colonization is wrapped up in that massively. You know, so I think the fact that Indy was involved in the Roswell incident, which is the big suggestion and sort of semi alluded to or confirmed, you know, and the fact he suspicious, they suspect him of being a commie, and then Alan Dale has to come in because Alan Dale's in everything. Alan Dale has to come in and say, 
go get out of here. It's indie. It's like coming, you know, and that, but that's it. You wouldn't, you didn't have that in the previous film. I, I, I think it's great. I, I, I love all this stuff. And I think people have missed it for over the years so much. Okay. Before we move on to the internet, interdimensional beings or aliens, because this is where we reach our kind of George and Stephen talk show, which I'm very, very fond of my favorite part of these episodes. <laughs> um, But like, I do think that like you mentioned the fridge, the fridge is fascinating to me because that's, that's a moment where Darren puts on his glasses and goes, I'm going to do so much reading into this. <laughs> Famously, the fridge was the original time travel device in Back to the Future, the Bob Gale, mm. Robert Zemeckis movie. It was going to be Marty gets in a fridge and travels back in time. And they had to change it. And they had to change it for the exact reason that General Ross says when he comes in to greet Andy. Those things are a death trap. Um, you could easily get kind of stuck. <laughs> in The fear was the kids would get stuck in there. So they changed it to DeLorean. Wasn't that a thing? Yeah. They're, no, they were worried. They were worried the kids would lock themselves in fridges. <laughs> that was a oh big God. kind of a when, whenever they like they had to put kind of warnings, you know, yeah. warnings on like um, wow. not to play about. But like my 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 thing though is that like it's notable that Spielberg does that in a movie that is about exploding the wholesome myth of the fifties, much like Back to the Future was. Because like Back to the Future was like Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale going, well, look. Your parent, the 50s were just as horny, just as confused as any other time. They weren't more wholesome, despite what Reagan's saying about them. And, like, I think it's notable that, like, before Spielberg made Raiders, like, 1941 was a Zemeckis and Gale script, and it was written in the style of a Zemeckis and Gale script, and Spielberg couldn't make that work because he wasn't that cynical at the time. So I think it's, it's like, I think Spielberg is very directly taking aim at Gale and kind of Zemeckis and saying... I can play on their level now. I can like, I can look at Americana and go, this is not functional at all. This is like, this romantic myth of the 50s doesn't really hold up. And like, just with the fridge. Be- the, 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 the fact that it's like made in 2008 and it's about the 50s and about kind of um, combating this sort of idea of um, America or, or the West being... Um, the kind of shining light, yeah. like standing against communism, and that it doesn't address um, race, which was something that that the communists were were putting to um, America at the time. <laughs> you know, they would they would say, "Well, did like did they, they you 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 can't criticize us. Look at the um, the way you 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 treat your like people of color." Um, what I would say to that is, uh, well, two two things to that. First of all, is do we really want George Lucas driving a movie about race? Um, like, I mean, probably one, not. One, like, <laughs> the, he already did yeah. that a few times. Red tails, baby, red tails. But one of the big problems that, like, I I think a fair criticism of the King of the Crystal Skull is that, like, somehow it doubles down on the colonialism of the previous movies, where you have like this weird thing where entire native tribes exist in the Amazon, like worshiping aliens and existing primarily just to like kill people who intrude into their tombs and the movie's like yeah watch Indy blow the blow dart backwards isn't that cool um which like is that wouldn't work by the way I, would it? not well presumably you don't make the dart <laughs> sharp and poises on both ends that just seems like a terrible safety feature um yeah how do you how do you how, like it has to be able to rest on yeah, your lip or yeah, tongue yeah. <laughs> like, um... but like like it, it that's like that's arguably like as like 
racist in terms of its portrayal of Central America as anything in Temple of Doom, I would argue, in its portrayal of India. It's pretty bad, um, yeah, yeah. And and like the entire premise of the Crystal Skull is this idea of like it's it's like Atlantis. It's this idea of like white people in Europe and America looking at developing nations, going, "Man, those those cultures had like roads. They could count. They had mathematical systems. How did they do that before us?" And reaching the answer. Well, they obviously got it from aliens. <laughs> they couldn't possibly have developed this culture themselves. So it, it kind of has that colonial subtext to it as well. The other thing I would say, like that's so that's why I think maybe Lucas not pushing this towards race is a good thing. The other thing I would say is that like Spielberg also, like at the time, like he'd done Amistad in the late nineties, which had been criticized, I would argue, very fairly for being a story about racism in America that was very focused on like white heroism and white saviorism. Uh, and he would, like, it was on his mind, he did come back to it in Lincoln, which I think does a much better job of doing a story of race in America with a white protagonist without seeming like a white savior narrative. So I do think that stuff is there. I I, I completely get that it's it's not here in this. Funny that Lincoln, yeah, Lincoln is the one that doesn't seem like a white savior narrative. Well, no, like, that, that's it. I think Lincoln is the only case you can really get away with that, where, like, the criticism is... It's like the amount yeah, to pay. It's for. like, okay, fair. You you get one and it's Lincoln. Lincoln is the one time you get to do this. <laughs> um But like and, and to bring it back to the fridge, what I find fa- like the fridge is one of those things that fans fixate on. Like there was a time in the two thousands where like nuke the fridge kind of like replaced Jump the Shark as like for a point where a franchise went over the hill. And I would argue it's not the most egregious sequence of this movie. I think the later chase through the Amazon with like lots of green screen is the point at which Can I oh sorry. Can I make a vote for the alien glowering? Uh, kind of being I a moment. That was shite. Okay, well we'll we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> come back. To, like I want to, we'll come to the aliens in a moment. But just on the fridge, I find interesting because apparently running out of time. We are running out of time. Okay, very quickly. Um, the the nuking of the fridge. Uh, apparently people have done tests. Apparently he could survive that, which is interesting. Apparently statistically he's more likely to survive that than he is riding a dinghy out of a plane in Temple of Doom or riding a submarine to an island in Raiders of the Lost Ark. So apparently, like it's not a, a kind of like a, it shouldn't be a reality breaking moment. That's fine. Let's talk about the aliens. The aliens, the interdimensional beings. It will surprise absolutely nobody to know who pushed for the aliens in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. (laughs) Um, It was George Lucas. And apparently one of the big reasons that it took so long for this movie to get made was because Spielberg was like, I don't think it should be aliens. And Lucas was aliens are nothing, baby. Um, Apparently like that was the big reason with like Frank Darabont's script, which everybody loved. The reason that Lucas vetoed it apparently is because at the end of it, the aliens were going to turn out to be the bad guys. And Lucas was like, no, 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 that's not what I want. And again, the Lucas and Spielberg, like, roadshow, which I love, <laughs> after this came out and after, like, you had the fan response to it, Luke, Spielberg, like, got asked questions about it. And here, here are some choice quotes from Spielberg. You know, I sympathize with people who didn't like the MacGuffin because I never liked the MacGuffin. George and I had big arguments about the MacGuffin. I didn't want these things to be either aliens or interdimensional beings, but I am loyal to my best friend. He writes the story he believes in even if I don't believe in it, and I'm going to shoot the movie the way George envisaged it. Sure, I'll add my own touches, I'll bring in my own cast, I'll shoot the way I want to shoot it, but I will always defer to George as the storyteller on the indie series. I will never fight him on that. Um, and then, like, you have, like, Spielberg talking about how he finally, like, how Lucas talked him into making the movie eventually, uh, which I love. This is one of those great, like, so 
Spielberg a bit, no aliens, no aliens, no aliens. It looks like, but what if aliens? <laughs> so Spielberg says, so George came to me one day and said, you know, you might be right about this alien things. Maybe we shouldn't do aliens. There's too much stuff around it. And I said, George, I love you. That's the best news you've ever given me. And he said, yeah, they're not aliens. They're kind of extra dimensional. <laughs> I said, what? He said, you ever hear about string theory about different dimensions? I said, yeah. He said, okay, these are interdimensional beings. They're not extraterrestrials. They're interdimensional. <laughs> so I said, and like, I love that like this quote has square brackets exasperated Spielberg. Fine, fine. What are they going to look like? And George said, they look like aliens, but we'll just call them interdimensional, uh, which I kind of love. And like, even like... <laughs> point, point of fact. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like actually, George yeah. Lucas kind of pipes up yeah. in the guise of John yeah. Harris. So interdimensional <laughs> yeah. beings. So actually, they're not yeah. and like, And I like, love that like it's already... And like you have like Spielberg kind of going out and doing this and I love again Lucas not giving two cares about two cares about this where like Lucas talking to ABC News where he's like when you make a movie like this a sequel that's very very anticipated people anticipate it's going to be the second coming and it's not it's just a movie just like other movies you probably have fond memories of the other movies but if you went back and looked at them they might not hold up the way your memory holds up and here's the thing uh there's a wonderful little great quote here as well we came back to do indie because we wanted to do f to have fun, says Lucas. It's not going to make much money for us in the end. I mean, we all have some money. It would make a lot of money if you weren't rich, but we're not doing it for the money, which I kind <laughs> of love. I love that Lucas is like, I'm so rich that I wouldn't be making this for the money. I'm doing it for the art as well. <laughs> um, but I do kind of like that back and forth between the two. Doing it for our shareholders. <laughs> <laughs> like um, Spielberg, it's not me. It's like our, our the business. But like that—that's the—that's the thing. Like in terms of aliens and in terms of like the extraterrestrial stuff. Like what I don't mind the idea of it. Um, I think like the CGI is not great. I think the CGI is the problem. To be fair, um, I don't mind. It's bad. Like the the um um you guys um have a lot of opinions about the X-Files. I think like the X-Files aliens are like easier to look well, at. Because they're actual physical models sometimes and they're children in costumes. Yeah, yeah. But it, but they're, they're definitely sort of modelled around the idea of the, you know, quote unquote grey. You know, this idea of the big eyes and the bulbous head. Yeah. This, the, the sort of B-movie idea of what an alien would be for people. You know, um, the invader from space, the spaceman from Mars. Um, and, and that's, I think... Even though they're they're interdimensional beings, it is it is trying to make that make them an unusual MacGuffin, and I think that's why people struggled a little bit with this film because you know they'd been used to indie going after the the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy Grail, the you know, or the I know the Sankara stones aren't quite as well known and things like that, but it was it was an object, it was something within mythology, particularly Christian mythology, and then when they're presented with Aliens as the the MacGuffin, everyone a lot of, and, and a spaceship rising out of the ground. Everyone's like, "What?" Like a lot of people I remember at the time going, "What?" Indiana Jones and aliens. But I I I think it, it there is it makes sense. It's no less bonkers than the idea of the Ark or that an immortality in a cop. It isn't. It, it's just what people have been coded and conditioned to understand. And Indiana Jones adventure movies, movies like. and Indiana Jones movies to be. Yeah makes a lot more sense to a Scientologist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 
perfect. Which man. is why I, I, I suspect that they will go back to a object in the next film, personally. Yes. So this this is this is it i think like because we are kind of wrapping up here i think like one of the things that bothers me about the rea- it's like the reaction to the temple of doom the reaction to the crystal skull seems so overblown to me that i can't help but think that it was like a deciding factor in say spielberg deciding not to come back for the fifth indiana jones movie mm. um or lucas basically selling it and deciding look i don't i don't care anymore it's it's not my baby somebody else can write it i don't want any input on it um, and I, I do worry, like, from the shots that we've seen of the movie, we know that there are going to be Nazis again, uh, which is like, yeah, we, because, like, that's what people want or expect from an Indiana Jones movie, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to something a bit weirder and a bit out there. Um, and again, like, it's it's arguably part of a larger trend in pop culture where you have this kind of wave of nostalgia where it's just bring back the things that people like from their childhood instead of trying to do new mm-hmm. things with them. Sorry, sorry, Tony. I, no, I was just going to say, I did hear a rumour that um, the MacGuffin or a MacGuffin of this film is going to be Excalibur. So uh, the next one. So it could well be involve Arthurian legend. The next Tying Indiana back Jones to the Grail film. as well then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which which it, it logically makes a lot of sense to me in terms of if they are going a little bit back to, yeah, those older movies, the, the older 80s sort of movies. Um, which which I, I think they might well do. I, I think they will be wanting, for better or worse, to distance themselves from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull as much as they can, or the 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 image of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and what that was at the time, because it's so poisoned. And yes, okay, it, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, it does have a lot of wonky dialogue. A lot of the scenes don't work. So a lot of the comedy doesn't work, you know, there are lots of things that you, that stick out like a sore thumb. But I mean, that whole thing I joked about at the beginning, the I like Ike thing. I remember at the time it, it being in the cinema and it was just de- a deathly silence. That's supposed to be a big laugh. Deathly silence. And I, it, it took me a long time before I even realised what that meant. Kids not great on Eisenhower, it turns out. Yeah, kids kids right. not big fans <laughs> of the, uh, like the Eisenhower, surprisingly. Right. I know. And like even even the when, when he in, in that same sequence, when he crashes back into the truck and he delivers a one-liner. It's a dead one-liner. It's oh, I thought that was closer. I remember going, "What? What does that mean?" <laughs> like it, it just it, there's lots of things that don't work in that sense, and I can understand why people found this to be a disappointment in that sense. I really do. Um, so I think I think the new film will be looking to try and recapture, and, you know, and it goes back to the nostalgia thing, doesn't it? Really try and recapture what people loved about Raiders and Last Crusade yes. specifically. And I think they they will be looking to do that again. Yeah, they, 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 some of Lucas's ideas have been thrown out. It was going to it was going to be discovering the lost city of Atlantis, and there were going to be Gungans. Although you know you joke, but that that everyone every Indiana Jones fan desperately wants them to basically make the fate of Atlantis video game from the early nineties. Because that is actually a brilliant Indiana Jones story, that game. And everyone would have lo- would love a version of that. Atlantis is the big one that everyone's gone, why have they never done Atlantis? You know, so... But yeah, you're right. It probably would involve Boss Nass and Brian Blessed going... <laughs> 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 like, and, and by the way, like, we should note that, like, back... Like, when this was a big hit, because this made $800 million worldwide, like, when Spielberg was being asked about the Inevitable sequel, he was preemptively blaming Lucas for it, which I love. So when he was being asked about, like, the movie that would become Jurassic World and asked about Indiana Jones 5, he'd give quotes like, 
you'll have to ask George Lucas. George is in charge of breaking the stories. He's done it on all four movies. Whether I like the stories or not, George has broken all the stories. <laughs> He's working on it. He's working on it. I'll leave it to George to come up with a good story. The, the improbable yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've, been, I've been like thinking about this in terms of like the podcast as much as we can compare the podcast to the making of the indiana jones franchise i like worry that i am the steven spielberg to your george lucas andrew where like whenever we do something absolutely crazy like an 18 hour live twin peaks episode I'm like, yeah, no, that was Andrew's idea. That was definitely Andrew's idea. Andrew was the one who came up with that. <laughs> and when we do like the three question format that like has two redundant questions, I'm like, yeah, no, no that was Andrew. Andrew was the idea, person who came up with that structure. Like, <laughs> he's, whether I like the structure or not, it was it was Andrew who came up with the structure. He's working on it. You'll have to ask him. I'll leave it to Andrew to come up with it with a good idea for that. You, you yeah, you, you. You you support me in order to play. <laughs> <laughs> like, um... Teamwork. <laughs> That's it. It takes. And again, I, like we talked on the podcast before about how yes, I I wish I wish I had George Lucas's not giving a feckery. Um, I wish I didn't care what people thought about me to the extent that that kind of Luke Lucas does. <laughs> um, and then finally, we should probably note that like again, as a moment in the arrival of kind of like geek film culture. Uh, Crystal Skull was a big one. Um, a lot of stuff around like spoilers, really, really high, like spoiler phobic. Um, Ain't it cool news leaks around it. An extra named Tyler Nelson was sued for revealing details of the plot in an interview. There was a sting operation in October 2007 in Los Angeles in which the sheriff's department arrested somebody trying to sell photos from the set. Um, John Hurt, who was the only actor who insisted on reading the script before signing on, um, only saw the script for three hours with a man handcuffed to the script or handcuffed to a briefcase containing <laughs> the script. Um, and you also then had this kind of weird backlash to the movie as well, where like the critics' reviews to this were relatively positive. They weren't as positive as the first three movies. 79% on Rotten Tomatoes at the time. I believe that's 74% now. And you started seeing this culture of like fans being like, man, the critics, what are they up to? What's their game? They're all in it together. They're, they're out there to like manipulate us or they're, they're in some kind of club or cabal, which again is the kind of thing that you see with the Star Wars kind of sequels, uh, later on, which I, I find fascinating. I kind of like trace back to this. And, and obviously the whole like it ruined my childhood stuff where you had like South Park doing an entire episode. Uh, I think it's called the China problem where like they do deliverance where like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas like basically uh rape Indiana Jones in the style of deliverance um and that's like where fan culture was at the time and somehow it's only gotten worse which is weirdly frustrating and disappointing all right is there anything else we talk about anything that we haven't discussed already with regards to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull I like the naughty detail of uh, Ray Winston having a choker <laughs> Uh, although I feel like that was kind of more early Nazis, really. Um, and, the... and just having Ray Winston as well, like Ray Winston's big Hollywood moment, like after The Departed and like Beowulf and <laughs> yeah. Jonesy! Jonesy! I think as well, like a small point that that, that won't require any further elaboration is um, Moss. I think I didn't like him when I saw him taking a drink off a tray. <laughs> Don't do that. If somebody is holding <laughs> a, a, a a tray and you take a drink out, I I I used to like uh, the the work work in the service industry and uh, like you you need to be the one who takes those off because it can 
like you're, you're it's just going to go. Yeah, you haven't yeah, got the balance, yeah, right? Uh, yeah, like, you haven't got the balance. I like that. That's your mock bugbear, not him swing, swinging through the Amazon like Tarzan, you know, or anything like that. It's <laughs> that he took a drink off a tray. <laughs> he he looked at those monkeys doing it, and then he did it the way the monkeys um, do. It. What I, I will say, actually, one one thing: Why were the monkeys doing what? this? Where were they going? <laughs> that's a logical problem here. Like to to Spielberg's credit as a director, there are lots of little touches that I love. Like the sequence where he's giving that big exposition speech to Indy, and he's like dipping his comb in the coke, for example, and stealing the beer, and Indy puts the beer back. The moments where like Indy has the Colonel's hat and throws it over his shoulder, and the Colonel catches it, and then later you have the Colonel taking Indy's hat and throwing it over, and Indy catching it. Like a lot of like playful Spielberg touches as a director here, despite the problems kind of with the script, I would argue. All right, then. Um, so I think that's about it, uh, unless there's anything else we're talking about, anything that we haven't discussed already with regards to Indiana Jones and the King of the Crystal Skull. So, all right, then. What we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something for listeners, something they're enjoying at the moment, something that they think listeners might enjoy. So to give Tony a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Um, in terms of kind of um, Better Dead Than Red um, and... Um, this is crazy. Someone is going to get hurt. Which, by the, by the way, I thought was a great line to 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 kind of intersperse um, with that scene. But in 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 terms of those themes and McCarthyism, I'd I'd, I'd recommend Good Night and Good Luck. I enjoyed it. I actually do remember where I watched it. I watched it on a plane, um, and it's it's David Stratton who who I who I love and everything. Yeah, and I guess American Prometheus. I'll recommend it again. It's the summer. If you're going on holidays, maybe take a six or seven hundred <laughs> book. page book with you and, and read it. That's what I did last year. And that's and how Lin Manuel I, Miranda I, I, wrote I, Hamilton. Re- recommend yeah. Like I mean, that's how Lin Manuel Miranda wrote Hamilton. He took like the a big kind of like backbreaker of a book on holiday with him. I was like, yeah, this should be a rap musical. So hey, you never American Prometheus yeah, rap yeah, musical. They, 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 uh, those kind of um, I I like those big biographies. Um, so yeah, and check check out that one, American Prometheus. It's about Oppenheimer, who um, who's referencing this. He doesn't have a fedora, um, Oppenheimer. <laughs> he wears a pork pie. The pork pie mm. has a flat top, and there is no crease. And it's typically like white or light, isn't it? Like pork pie hats tend to be lighter than. Fedora. No, no, not necessarily. Like, like the the, the um, I think Oppenheimer's one was kind of the same color as um as Indiana um, Jones's one. Yeah. Uh, that, 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 that was that was it was it was it was funny because it was a big the it was a cultural kind of a an artifact of the time. Well, it was before I, Kennedy I think, killed hats, uh, right? It was before John F. Kennedy killed hats. Well, no, yeah, but but specifically related to Oppenheimer, the way the way the fedora related to Indy, you had I think it was the the cover of a magazine had um, Oppenheimer's hat on us um, at the time. I think it was, and 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 people would people those days would know that's Oppenheimer's hat. I know what I know what it's talking about. One of my favorite yeah. tangents we ever done on the show has been the discussion of why hats went out of fashion. I can't remember <laughs> what the context of it was, but we talked about like the social history of men wearing hats and how it was because like riding public transport, when you're standing up, your hat would brush against the ceiling. So men stopped wearing hats um, because they started using buses and trains and, and kind of riding those standing. I live in a tiny house, <laughs> like out of being John Malkovich. And sometimes my the hat is the only thing that stops <laughs> me from 
seriously hurting my head. Um, uh, and because apparently I have lots of thoughts on, on kind of Crystal Skull, very quickly, you mentioned Oppenheimer. Uh, I also like the, the aliens, the idea, we talked about how this is a movie about rejecting binaries, the idea that the aliens are both aliens, extra-dimensional beings, and also gods simultaneously, that there's no difference between the two. And you have that moment where she quotes Oppenheimer, and she talks about, you know, the, the the nuclear bomb as the destroyer of worlds. And you have Indy point out that that's a line from the Hindu Bible. Um, so you have this idea of, like, religion and science not existing in opposition. He, he doesn't say Bhagavad No, no, he doesn't. Because that might have gone because over the heads of some of the audience, I think. Yeah, like, um, like I like I. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a very specific target yeah. market we're aiming at. And Tony, what would you recommend for <laughs> listeners? Well, you mentioned um, in passing there, Lin-Manuel Miranda... So I, I'm going to suggest people check out In the Heights because that's just come out. And if they want to, if they want a summer movie, I think you know we're doing the Indiana summer obviously here. It, you could do worse. You know that film is it, it's not gone down. I think as well as they would have hoped. In some ways, it's not completely my cup of tea to be honest. But because I'm not, I'm not quite sure that I love the style of how Lin Manuel Miranda's stuff works. However, it was very joyous and it was very nice and it's a very sweet film. It's got a lot of hope. It's got a lot of love to it, and it will make you feel in a, in a nice place. It will, you know, it will raise you up, you know, um, particularly in these times where things have been a bit tricky, you know. So yeah, I'd, I'd go and watch In the Heights. It's it's out now. It's on, in cinemas, I think. So yeah, check it out. And for myself, just a quick shout out to to late Spielberg and particularly the movies he made before and after this. I think Munich is criminally underrated. It certainly has the most memorable sex sequence in Steven Spielberg's entire career. Um, but again, it's it's that idea of breaking down binaries and boundaries and clear delineations between good and evil and i think it works very well in that and perhaps controversially the adventures of tintin the next movie he makes which argue somehow has even more cgi in it but is arguably a better action film uh for that or perhaps because of that i think they're both well worth seeking out and then obviously movies i reference like bridge of spies which i think is great uh, and lincoln which is uh i think criminally underrated in spielberg's filmography all right so that is the end tony Thank you so much for doing these four weeks with us. It has been an absolute pleasure, a delight. Um, thank you for taking the time. And it's over it is now. over. Never oh. again. You're never going to have to talk about <laughs> well, Indiana Jones again. Well, you say that, you say that, but what if number five hits the 250? You know, it might do. It happened with Crystal Skull. So I expect an invite back, I think, if that happens. But it's been, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. I love these films, you know, in all different ways. And they are so much part of my love of film and, and, and all of this stuff in my childhood. So it's been an absolute joy. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. And where can we find you? Watch out. Pimp yourself. Pimp, my, pimp myself. Okay, you find me um, at uh, AJ Black Writer predominantly on Twitter, and you'll find links to various different things. My blog, thetruthisinhere.co.uk, and my uh, podcast network. We made this at WMT underscore network, where I'm always on the the airwaves um, for various different things. So yeah, check all that stuff and out from books me. as well. You have at least one published, but you've got more. You've got another one on the way. Yes. I've got two books out, Myth Building in Modern Media, which is all about mythology in storytelling, um, in TV and movies. Um, Star Trek History and Us, which is all about the cultural history of the Star Trek franchise for the last 50-odd years. Uh, and I'm currently writing three books, which is a bit crazy. Um, <laughs> one on J.J. Uh, Abrams' career, one on Sean Connery, actually, who we briefly mentioned, um, and uh, another one on the James Bond franchise post-Living Daylights. So, yeah, I've got all that to come in the next few right, years. Perfect. All right. All right, then. Uh, we'll be back next week. This is our, if we've done the scheduling right, this is our 249th episode, making next week our big 250th. 
Uh, we might do something special for it. We might just talk about Christopher Nolan's Tenet. You will have to tune in and find out. Take it easy, guys. You might just list all of those 250 <laughs> movies, like, like Andrew, Andrew said. <laughs> That's the project. Andrew and I are going to make a list of 250 movies each and just name them back and forth. Just, and it's not going to be our favorite 250 No, just any movies, 250 movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> all right, take it easy. Thank you so much, Tony. Bye. Bye.